Today's lesson, the Lord has told me, this is going to be really hard for me to talk slow today. I, I'm actually not even trying to be like, yeah, I know I talk fast. I've had some people overseas tell me, slow down. It, this is not what I'm talking about, not because I'm a fast talker. It's slow down so it sinks in. And so if this, if this pace today is a little abnormal for our To Number Our Days series, I'm just being obedient to what the Lord says. Uh, and so it might be actually I'm talking slower today. And uh, I think that's actually probably one of the more unusual things I've heard from the Holy Spirit in a while. Uh, and uh, the way I want to start is in my prayer time, the Lord just said, open up your phone. And I, I sent an email actually yesterday, uh, and I'm going to open it up. And so I'm going to roll with how the Lord said to start. Rich and I talked about this paragraph yesterday. Uh, it's not the cleanest maybe, but it's our first attempt to begin talking about uh, heaven and the millennium and like death and life. Okay, you, you'll know what I mean when I start reading it. But people are like, when we die, where do we go then? Like, is our spirit there? Is our body there? You know, like it's this language of, hey, where are the streets of gold? When do those come in? Like, it's that language that we're talking about. So I just wrote this. Remember, this is how I want to kick off today. Okay, remember, our eternal state begins once we place our trust in Christ. When we begin to understand that essential truth, so in essence, eternity begins here and now with our faith in Jesus Christ. And then upon our physical death, our spirit goes to be with Jesus in heaven. Okay, did you catch that? I want to say it one more time. Upon our physical death, our spirit goes to be with Jesus in heaven. But when Jesus comes back for his bride, the church, our bodies will be resurrected with our eternal spirit. Okay, this is what we've been covering for 20 lessons. I get it. You guys are all seasoned. You got this all down, but I want to just keep putting it in perspective. At that point, once our bodies are resurrected with this spirit, with our resurrected bodies and eternal spirit, we will be in the millennium, the thousand years, here on earth with King Jesus ruling and reigning. Just slow down, right, on this, right? And then in this, once the thousand years are actually complete, and we know that's the case because, do you remember, I'm, I'm interjecting, I'll stop. Once the thousand years are complete, we will then experience the new heaven and new earth. Okay, that is your complete summary of end times right there. And I think when we came into the end times, the reality is, and let's just put all the, the, the things out on the table, we typically talk about tribulation, we typically talk about the rapture, but very rarely do we integrate the millennium, the thousand years. But when we number our days here on earth, then that actually impacts everything in the thousand years. To put it in Kyle language, if you do jack squat here, you don't do anything in the thousand years. You and I are given the opportunity as followers of Yeshua to use the gifts and the talents now. And when he comes back for his bride, we get to exercise that rule and reign alongside 
Christ in the thousand years. And so I, I just, again, I just, I feel like I needed to set that up today to come into the millennium as we talk more and more about the millennium, because I feel like it might start putting into perspective. I believe it's a thousand years. I believe it's too clear in scripture for it not to be. There's so many aspects of the Antichrist being thrown into hell. And at the end of the thousand years, the scripture says, guess what? Then Satan is then thrown into hell. But before that, in the thousand years, he's thrown into the abyss. There's too many layers here for me to say, man, it's, let's not miss the obvious. And so when we jump into the millennium, again, there's so many layers and aspects. But I want to go to Ezekiel 47. We're going to continue our study, if you guys would. Ezekiel 47. Now, remember, 1 through 12. Ezekiel 47, 1 through 12. Remember that jump into the river mentality? Remember this language? There's actually a millennial river that's going to flow from the temple that's going to be in Jerusalem, and it's going to flow. Rich, where, where does the river flow? Do you remember, Rich? We're going to pipe into Rich back in the back room here. Yeah. So the river flows to the east and goes down to the Dead Sea, and the Dead Sea will start teeming with life. So there'll be fish and things of that nature. And then it also goes to the west and into the Mediterranean Sea. Amen. And it's going to come straight from the Lord's temple. I was doing some studies on major cities in the world. And do you know that Jerusalem, prior to the Millennial River, is one of the only major cities in the world that doesn't have access to a river? And God says, now it does. <laughs> and so here you have, in verses 1 through 12, a river that's now flowing. And it's flowing in this thousand-year period. And remember... The millennium is celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. It's a place of rest. You are now in the refuge of King Jesus. You are now in the refuge of actual king ruling and reigning. And so here you have this, this language that there's a river that's to take place. Now, I want to talk in today specifically about land. Okay. Now, when I was originally was studying and our team was talking about, man, we're going to do a lesson, a whole lesson on the millennial land. You know, it's just kind of like, yeah, it's here, it's here, it's here. Who gets this land? And, and man, as I just kept asking the Lord, I kept asking the Lord, and, and Laura, my wife, responded, Lord, just take this higher. And I'm going to say it, take it higher prophetically. I want us to see the importance of here and how that impacts the millennial land in the future. So in Ezekiel 47, verse 13, this is the text that we'll be using to jump into today. Ezekiel 47, verse 13. And again, I'm going to just keep slowing down here as much as I can. Uh, in this context. Ezekiel 7, 47, verse 13. This is what the Lord God says. This is the border you will use to divide the land as what? As an inheritance for the 12 tribes of Israel. So we've already set the tone. The river is flowing, right? Now he's saying, okay, now we're going to give you the border that is going to use to divide as an inheritance. An inheritance is something that you receive for specifically the 12 tribes of Israel. I actually believe it's for 12 tribes. Joseph, in the process, is going to receive uh, two, specifically, uh, two shares. Now, just if you, uh, as you're going to see here in a little bit, um, the two tribes are going to be divided. They're going to replace uh, Levi is one of them. He's not going to be a part of this process, but he's going to get a little bit more. <laughs> it, it's interesting. We'll begin to unpack some of this language. 
but we'll begin to say he's going to have Ephraim and Manasseh. Kevin, right? These are the these are the two tribes that are going to fill in. Correct. Because so you, the Levites, yeah. The Levites are going to get their own deal. Okay, God always takes care of the Levites. It's kind of interesting. But 12 tribes, Joseph's going to have two, Ephraim and Manasseh. And you're like, okay, well, here you go. And this is going to be the borders for the millennium. Now, as you continue on in verse 14, okay, when you continue on verse 14, it says, you inherit it in equal portions. That's interesting. Equal means, hey, by the way, the brothers, you're not going to argue anymore. You're not going to argue because I'm going to give the equal amount. Wouldn't that solve everybody's problems with inheritances? Yeah, you're going to get the, the three siblings, the two siblings, the four siblings. It's all equal. Kevin? They could always say that it's better land here than there, though. If... Mm -hmm. That's coming from Kevin, who's from a farming background. <laughs> We're going to actually get into that. It might be equal portions, but some of them are positioned higher and not as close to certain places. So, Kevin, you're always good at transitions. Thank you. Uh, since I swore to give it to your an ancestors, so this land will fall to you as, as an inheritance. And I, I like this because it's a free gift. You realize that they did nothing in some regards to deserve this land, uh, except that it was literally an unconditional promise. Kevin, uh, these unconditional promises, who was it originally made to? It was originally made to Abraham. It was originally made to Abraham 3,500 years prior. You have over a hundred, and I like this, there's a guy named Matthew Irwin. He kind of, he, I like people who count things because I don't do that well, but over 170 references in the Old Testament about the promises for the land. 170 references. That's pretty mind-blowing. 55 times they talk about in the Old Testament that there's going to be an oath about this land, specifically with Abraham. And then just one more stat, just to even back this up. 12 times it says it's going to be an everlasting covenant for this land. Kevin, if you hear this language of oath and covenant and everlasting, what is it determined on? It's determined on God, and it means that it's forever. Yeah. I want to go to Acts first, and then we're going to go to Genesis. Remember, we're going to just take our time on this. In Acts 7, Acts 7, verse 2, 3, 4, and 5. Acts 7, 2 through 5. Uh, here you have Luke. Remember, uh, it's a volume 2 of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and Acts as well. And brothers and fathers, uh, the writer says, he said, Listen, the God of our glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was in Mesopotamia, before he settled in Haran. And he said to him, Get out of your country and away from your relatives, and come to the land I will show you. Again, you know how radical that is? We were talking about Noah building an ark for 100 plus years. You know how radical that is for a guy by faith to build something because he's going to do something he's never even seen? It's called rain. Hey, by the way, I'm going to send you to a piece of land. It's not even something that you believe in. It's not even something that you know about, but I'm sending you in an obedience. Abraham is a choice. And it says in verse 4 of Acts 7, Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans, and he settled in Haran. From there, after his father died, God had him move to this land you now live in. In verse 5, it says he didn't give him an inheritance in it. Not even a foot of ground. Kevin, what does that mean, if he didn't give him an inheritance? It means during the, he didn't inherit it from anybody else. Right. It, it was 
specifically to Abram, so his father didn't give it. It was never passed down, but by faith, it says he promised to give it to him as a possession. Now watch this, and to his descendants after him, even though he was childless. I think, Kevin, don't they say, I could be wrong, 75 years-ish, isn't that right? Yeah. That Abraham, and now he's, he's being promised a piece of land, and it's going to be for his descendants. He doesn't have land, and he doesn't have kids. You know, uh, many times, just because we don't um, see things come to fruition doesn't mean that God's done. And in Genesis, God spoke to Abram and said, I have something for you and all of your descendants, and it's land. Land is everything to the Lord. And in fact, and you see these 170 references, I'm going to read a handful of them. Because I want you to see that the millennial land that we're talking about in Ezekiel 47 is not some flippant prophetic word. God is building his case for his people for a home base. In fact, Genesis 12, verse 7, I want you to write a couple of them down if you would. Genesis 12, Kevin, if you would, why don't you just start in 2 and 3, Genesis 2, 12, Genesis 12, 2 and 3. Let's just kind of start there and we'll, we'll begin this process. Genesis 12, 2 and 3, it just says, I'll make you, uh, start in verse 1, let's just get the context here, we might as well. The Lord said to Abraham, go out from your land, your relatives. I want you to leave everything, right? And he says, you're in your father's house, to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with content. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And it's classic verse four. It says he did it. Abram went, the Lord was with him and the lot went with him. Abram was, Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haran. I, I'm going to say this again even into your 70s and 80s, God can use you on any level. Please don't ever discredit or discount that you're hearing from him and that you can't act on faith. Just some other text as examples. Genesis 13, verse 15. Genesis 13, verse 15. Again, remember, 170 of them. If I don't cover any of them or half of them, what you're thinking, it's okay. In Genesis 13, 15, he says, For I will give you and your offspring forever, all the land that you see. That word forever, Kevin, which means what? Forever. Yeah, that land's not going away. Just another reference that you're going to see here is in Genesis 13, verse 17. In this context, after the offspring becomes like dust on the earth, Genesis 13, verse 17, uh, it just says this. So get up and walk from one end of the land to the other, for I will give it to you. I'm going to, I got to slow down, you guys. God's promise for Abram is the land. He's going to bless his people with land. Just a couple more. Genesis 15, verse 7. Genesis 15, verse 7. It says, he also said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you from the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. He continues on in Genesis 15, verse 18. What you have to understand is that when you hear the Lord by faith, you have to hear it a couple of times, do you not? 
You hear it the first time, you're like, oh, is that God? And you're trying to figure it out. That's why he says, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell your descendants, I'm going to tell their descendants, this land is yours. Genesis 15, 18, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, I give this land to your offspring from the brook of Egypt to the Euphrates River, the land of Canaanites, Kenizzites, Camanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaim, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Kevin, why would he emphasize that there's people on the land? What's the point? Well, if it's God giving it as an inheritance, somebody else physically already lives there. Yeah. And so they're going to have to navigate that. This is the swirly part that everybody gets nervous about. What do you mean? These are the people that are already there, but God said, this is the land for my people and you're not it. Yeah, but I don't like that. That doesn't sound politically correct. I don't either, but I didn't write it. And at some point, we have to get over the fact that God made the decision, not us. God made the decision, this is my land. Does he care about those people? Yeah. But the land is a priority to him. And so in this, I want you to understand, go to one more, Kevin, and then I'm going to move on. Genesis 26, 3 through 4. Again, I have lists from Exodus, Joshua, Judges, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, Nehemiah, Psalms, Isaiah, Jeremiah. We could be here for a while, but he told me to read slow, so we're not even going to get to any of them. (laughs) Genesis 26, 3 through 4. Stay in this land as a foreigner, and I will be with you and bless you. For I will give all of these lands to you and your offspring, and I will confirm the oath that I swore to your father Abraham. Verse 4 says, I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky. I will give your offspring all of these lands. And all the nations of the earth will what? Be blessed by your offspring. You see, when Christ comes back, Jerusalem is his home base. And we already know that all the nations are going to be blessed. Why? Because Christ has a home in Israel. This is the language that we're talking about. They're going to be blessed through the seed, blessed through the Messiah. And he's actually on land in Israel. So this is some of the context that you can see here. Now, Kevin, I want to go to Genesis 15, if you would, verse 7 through on. Uh, Genesis 15, 7, let's start here. And I'm going to begin to unpack how and when I believe they're going to get the land. In Genesis 15, verse 7, hang in here with me. He also said to me, I am the Lord who brought you from the Ur of Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But Abram said, but Lord God, how can I know that I will possess it? How do I know you're with me, right? Don't we ever ask these questions? Five hours of prayer. We need God to show up. And he said to him, this was, this was the deal that God had. Bring me, God's saying this, a three-year-old cow. Cow, I'll go find one. A three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove. This is not a song. And a young pigeon. And so Abram, what does he do? He brings all of these to God. He splits them down the middle. So every one of these animals, these five animals, he splits them in the middle. He laid the pieces opposite of each other, but he did not cut up the birds. Interesting enough, birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. He, he shooed he shoot them away. As the sun was setting, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and suddenly great terror and darkness descended on him. So after the offering was made, these animals were split. It says that God allowed Abram to fall into a sleep. And the next thing you know, a terror and a darkness descended on him. And then the Lord spoke, and he said, know this for certain. 
Your offspring will be strangers in a land that does not belong to him. They will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. So what he's saying is, hey, we're going to talk about the land. But prior to the land, I have a plan. And that plan is, is for 400 years, your people, my people, they're going to be oppressed. This is all part of the unfolding in Genesis 15. However, I will judge the nation they serve. And afterward, they will go out with many possessions. But you will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. In other words, Kevin, what's he implying already to Abram? That he's not going to go to this foreign land. He's not going to make it. Now it says in verse 16, In the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. But when the sun had set and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between, what? The divided animals, these offerings. So a torch, can you, can you picture this? A smoking fire pot, a flaming torch, just appeared, by the way. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, I give this land to your offspring. And then he begins to unfold the boundaries. From the brook of Egypt to the Euphrates rivers. And then he says, the land of which we read, the Kenites, the Canaanites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, and Raphaim, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. So Kevin, there's an unconditional covenant that God says, I'm going to give you the land. But what initiated this process? Abram had to do what he asked him to do as far as the sacrifice. He said to go get the animals, cut them in half, and that was it. So an offering took place, and now guess what? He said, I'm going to give you the land. Can you go to Jeremiah 34? This is going to feel like a major rabbit trail. But go to Jeremiah 34, 18, 19, and 20. Just hang in here with me, okay? I, I, I'm going slow, so it's a process today. Jeremiah 34, 18 says, And for, as for those who disobeyed my covenant, not keeping the terms of the covenant they made before me, I will treat them like the calf they cut in two in order to, to pass between its pieces. So I'm comparing, right? Isn't he saying what was done? And he says this in verse 19. The, uh, the, well, I'll, just, I'll leave it at that right there. No, let's go to 19, Kevin. It's fine. The officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the court officials, the priests, and all the people of the land who passed between the pieces of the calf will be handed over to where? Their enemies. To those who will want to take their life. The corpses will become food for the birds of the sky and for the wild animals of the land. So the disobedient people are now being compared to the, the sacrifices and the offerings that were split in half. And he says, those that were disobedient that are split in half, Kevin, reality is what's happening to them. They're going to be punished because they were disobedient. They're going to be, this right. is a different, he's talking about the Mosaic law, which was a conditional covenant, right. not the Abrahamic. There's a partial hardening to the Jewish hearts. Forget the disobedience for a second. There's a partial hardening to their hearts. And this bird language, maybe, and I like what uh, uh, Matthew Irwin says, maybe this is even the image of the birds. Hang in here. The image of the birds. Remember when Jesus says this, Kevin? Can you go there? In Mark, uh, Mark 4, verse 4, do you remember this? The parable of the sower? Do you remember what happens? The birds come and do what? They snatch the seed. So, so maybe there's an image of this hardening that's coming to those that are, it, they're just, there's no desire there. Until 
There's a softening of the heart until it says in Matthew 23, 39, until there is actual a softening of the heart in the remnant. Kevin, go to there. Matthew 23, 39. Until it says this, Jesus said, you will never see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Until the, the partial hardening is lifted, they're not getting the land. In Romans 11, verse 25, I get to talk more in the New Testament today. Hang in. In Romans 11, verse 25, this is really mind-blowing to me, and it will build more. So that you will not be conceited, brothers. I do not want you to be aware of this mystery. A partial hardening has come to Israel until what? Until the number of the Gentiles has come in. So why are the Israelites not getting the completion of the land? Because the Gentiles have not heard the gospel It's kind of mind-blowing to me, which really then comes back to us. Why are we not articulating the gospel to the ends of the earth, to the Jerusalem, the Judea, the Samaria, to the other ends? That's our calling, every one of us. And so when this takes place, I actually believe you will start to see the veil lifted. Can you go to Deuteronomy 29? Deuteronomy 29, 22 through 26. So why is there a partial hardening? Well, because they're waiting to the Gentiles. So until then, watch what happens. Genesis, uh, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 29, 22. Future generations of your children who follow you and the foreigner who comes from a distant country will see the plagues of the land and the sickness the Lord has inflicted on it. It just keeps going. This is going to get graphic. All its soil will be a burning waste of sulfur and salt unsown, producing nothing with no plant growing on it, just like the fall of Sodom and Gomorrah. Adma and Zebuin, which the Lord demolished in his fierce anger. All the nations will ask, why has the Lord done this to this land? Why this great outburst of anger? And the people will answer, it's because they abandoned the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. They began to worship other gods, bowing to, the, to gods that they had not known, gods that the Lord had not permitted them to worship. So because of this disobedience, and then you take it one step that makes it softer, because of the partial hardening, they're not experiencing the fullness of the land. Go to Deuteronomy 30, if you would, Kevin. This is the part for me, it was the aha. I don't know how else to describe this. We're talking about the blessings and the curses. Kevin, we're totally talking about the mosaic here. Correct. But now it says, when all these things happen to you, the blessings and the curses, curses I have set before you, and you come to your senses while you are in all of the nations where the Lord your God has driven you. Where, right? This is where I have sent you out. All the Jewish people, I've sent you out. When you come to your senses, it says in, in verse 2, And you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with your heart and all your soul by doing everything I'm giving you today. Then he will restore your fortunes, have compassion on you, gather you again, from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you, even if your exiles are at the ends uh, of the earth, he will gather you and bring you back from there. The Lord your God will bring you into the land your fathers possessed, and you will take possession of it. Hang in here. He will cause you to prosper and multiply you more than he did your fathers. Kevin, right now, he's saying, I'll give you into the land. Right, and this Deuteronomy, they haven't even gone into the land yet. No. And so watch in verse 6. This is how you know he's talking about future. The Lord 
your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants. And you will love him with all of your heart and all your soul so that you will live. When there is a circumcision of the Jewish people, when their hearts see the Messiah, Kevin, what do they get? They get a new heart. They get a new heart. They get jealousy. We'll get to that. But they get the land. Zechariah 12, 10, it says this. Then I'll pour out a spirit of grace and prayer in the house of David and the residents of Jerusalem, and they will look at me whom they pierced. They will mourn for him as one who mourns for an only child and weep bitterly for him as one weeps for a firstborn. What is the key to the Jews taking the land? They're turning to the Messiah. How do they experience the fullness? Well, some would say, well, we already have part of the land, wouldn't we? 1948, there's a country started in Israel. May 14th, 1948, clearly there's a land, but it's not all of it. It's not the complete land. Until they see and realize who he is, the land doesn't happen. Romans 11, 26 through 27, and then we're going to come back to Ezekiel. Romans 11, 26 through 27. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the liberator will come from Zion. He'll turn away from godliness. He'll turn away godliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. I feel like I'm overemphasizing and slowing down way too much, but I don't think we fully understand. There's a partial hardening to the Jews. And when the gospel has gone forth into all of the nations and all the ethnic groups and all of the people groups, when that takes place, there will be a spirit of jealousy. And they will want we have. They will cry out. They will mourn for the one whom they have pierced. And then as a result, God says, good, now I can set up shop. Now I have a home base. And what does that home base look like? Well, he begins to describe this very clearly in Ezekiel 47, back in verse 15. So he says, all right, I'm going to divide it up into the 12 nations. I'm going to divide this land into the 12 nations. Ezekiel 47, Kevin, if you would go back there to verse 15. It says this, this is to be the border of the land. So now when we go to this land, okay, I think it'll be probably clearer to do it this way for right now. Okay, there's a lot of comparisons, and I'm going to read some of them today. In Genesis 15, Ezekiel 34, I'm sorry, Numbers 34, and then Ezekiel 47. But I want to talk about the northern border if I can first. In verse 15, it says, on the north side, it will extend from the Mediterranean, okay? So the Mediterranean, another word for the Mediterranean is the Great Sea, okay? On the northern border, it will extend from the Mediterranean Sea by the way of Hethlon and label Hamath to the Zad. And so basically what you're going to see here is from here, it's going to go right here, okay? Again, can I just say something very loosely? It could be off a couple miles. It could be off more than a couple miles. We're trying to give you a visual of what we know and what we can identify. There's a lot of places, you guys, that archaeologists and many historians cannot say, yep, dogmatically, that's the place. But we're trying to give you a frame of reference. So please hold that and understand that a little bit loosely. So on the northern side, uh, Kevin, if you would. So it's going to go through Lebanon, and it's going to go through Syria, 
to the Euphrates River. That's the northern border. Okay, this should go through Lebanon, this should go through Syria, and it's going to go to the Euphrates River. It's going to go through the mountains of Lebanon, is a, a language. Again, give us some grace here, okay? I'm just trying to show you a frame of reference of where roughly what we're talking. But I will tell you this, uh, Rich, all the way up here, right now, that's farther north than the land, is it not? Uh, much farther north, yeah. Why do you think then all of a sudden, like, there's a lot of fighting, you guys, that's taking over this land? I don't say these things loosely. I'm repeating scripture. So that's the northern. Now, if you want to have some references of the northern, go to Genesis 15, verse 18, okay? Genesis 15, verse 18, okay? So if you wanted to have the north language, Genesis 15, uh, verse 18. Again, I'm trying to bring in some comparisons here. On that day, the Lord gave, uh, made a covenant with Abram, saying, I give this land to your offspring, uh, from the brook of Egypt, well, you were talking to the Euphrates River. That will help you on that language, okay? Uh, go to Deuteronomy 11.24, Kevin, if you would. Deuteronomy 11.24. Again, what you're going to see over and over again with this land is that multiple places have references. Every place the sole of your foot treads with yours, your territory will extend from the wilderness to Lebanon and from the Euphrates River to the Mediterranean Sea. Okay, these are the words of Moses just writing down what's the northern border here. A couple other references is we've already referenced Ezekiel 47, verse 17, which we know that's there. And then just one more on the northern border uh, is Joshua 1, 4. Joshua 1, verse 4. Okay, Joshua 1, verse 4. It says, your territory will be from the wilderness and Lebanon to the great Euphrates River, all the land of the Hittites and west to the Mediterranean Sea. So what we're trying to do is establish the millennium land. Okay, now who gets to be there? Well, we know that those that have resurrected bodies, right, with theirs, we get to be there. Okay, the Jews obviously are going to be given land. They get to be there. Why? Because they believe in the Messiah. When you get into, if we can, let's go to the east. Okay, let's get into the east side of things. Kevin, can you go back to Ezekiel 47? says in verse 18, on the east side, it will run between Haran and Damascus, along the Jordan between Gilead and the land of Israel. You will measure from the northern border to the eastern sea. This will be the eastern side. In other words, Jordan River rises in, I'm going to reference, uh, this is not for me, by the way, this is, comes from the, the Matthew Irwin language here. The Jordan River rises in the, in the mountains of Lebanon and runs south right, to the Sea of Gennesaret, Sea of Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee, okay, so that's going to be running along the eastern side, and then it's going to go, the Jordan River flows by the Jordan Valley all the way down to the Salt Sea, the Dead Sea, okay, so that's going to be some of your border that you have there, and the eastern side of Jordan, which is also the southern side of the Golan Heights, when President Trump, uh, a couple years ago, President of the United States at that time, when he referenced that Israel has the Golan Heights, that's why people get excited. Oh, we're getting closer. That's the land. That's why people say these things. Because they study their borders. Now, does it mean Israel has to have all of this to take place before Christ comes back? I don't know. And so people ask me all the time, what are indicators? What are signs of Christ coming back? Well, when you start seeing shifting and negotiation over the land, yes. 
But it's all about the borders. It's all about the borders. Kevin, just from the east, can you go to Numbers 34, 11 through 12? So we already know Ezekiel 47, verse 18, and then you have Numbers uh, 34, verses 11 through 12. This little land is very important. The border will go down, and in Numbers 34, 11 and 12, the border will go down from Shephem to Riblah, east of Ain. It will continue down and reach the eastern slope of the Sea of Kenetheret. Then the border will go down to the Jordan at the end of the Dead Sea. This will be your land defined by its borders on all sides. That's as clear as you can get. Now you can say, man, are we really talking about borders? Yes. Because this is going to be the Israelites' homeland. And Jesus is going to be in Jerusalem right in the middle of it. This is the eastern border. When you get into the southern border, okay? Let's go back to uh, Ezekiel 47. And you get into verse 19. And it says, On the south side it will run from Tamar to the waters of Meribah Kadesh. And onto the brook of Egypt as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Great Sea. This will be the southern side. So basically, I, I, I'm just going to draw a line so everybody can see this. We just went over the east, right? All over the red. And then eventually, then you're going to start getting into, yes, the southern portion. This is the part that gets a little bit loose, but you can get an idea. Another reference that you can have for the southern border. Uh, let's go to Exodus 23, 31. Exodus 23, 31. I'll set your borders from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean Sea. I've been to the Red Sea. I've floated in the Red Sea. It is awesome. And from the wilderness to the Euphrates River, for I will place the inhabitants of the land under your control and you will drive them out ahead of you. So God is now establishing. Wouldn't it be great if this real estate was this clear all the time? Oh yeah. You want to move into this? God says, I'll give you exactly where you want. I believe God can speak to us, by the way, like that. This last one, if you don't mind, I want to go to uh, the West. This one is by far the easiest. He says in Ezekiel 47, verse 20. Ezekiel 47, verse 20. On the West side, the Mediterranean Sea will be the border. From the Southern border to the opposite, opposite label Hamath, this will be the Western side. So he says, okay, I'm, I'm giving you guys clear direction. This is your land. Now, the one thing I will tell you guys in regards to this, Genesis 15 has more language of more land. It's really hard. Kevin, I don't know what you do with that. It's not clean borders all the time. So when you go back to a deep dive in Genesis 15, I just want to make sure you guys understand there's a presentation out there. Genesis 15, Numbers 34, lots of different language, right? 170 references. But I'd love to tell you, oh yeah, it's exactly like this. Remember, here's your label Hamath uh, over here, by the way, right in there. And so now watch, once I've given you this land, go back to Ezekiel 47, verse 21. Okay, I want you to go back to Ezekiel 47, verse 21. And this is what begins to happen. Remember the equal portions? He says, you're to divide this land among yourselves according to the tribes of Israel. And what you're going to see is really in, uh, let me just keep going here with this. It says this, you will allot it as an inheritance for yourselves and for the foreigners living among you who have fathered children among you. So Kevin, what is this implying? 
that there will be non-Jews living among the Israelites. There will be non-Jews living among the Israelites in the land in the millennium. And they will be allotted an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. In whatever tribe the foreigner lives, you will assign his inheritance there. This is the declaration of the Lord God. This is your um, layout for the borders. And when you see the layout of the borders, then it begins to make sense in Ezekiel 48. So if you would, let's go to Ezekiel 48. And I'm just going to break it down very, very simply. These are the names of the tribes. So it says this, from the northern end along the road of Hethion, Hethlon, to Label Hamath as far as Hazahanen at the northern border of Damascus. Along Hamath and extending from the eastern side of the sea will be Dan one portion. So then you're going to begin to see, literally Ezekiel 48 begin to unfold. Excuse me. Then it says, very simply in verse 2, uh, next to the territory of Dan, it says from the east side to the west will be Asher, one portion. And then he just keeps going, you guys, into verse 4. Then he says, I'm going to give it to Naphtali. After Naphtali, he says, I'm going to give it to Manasseh. After Manasseh, I'm going to give it to Ephraim. Do you remember who these guys belong to? Those are Joseph. And then he says this, from this point then, I'm going to keep going. He says, then I'm going to give you, uh, Reuben is going to get the land. And then I'm going to get Judah. So here you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven northern tribes. Dan got the raw deal. You know why? Kevin, why did he get the raw deal? The land is better as you go south. Actually. Yeah, the closer you are to Jerusalem, the better the property. Why? Because the holy portion is here. The city is here. The temple is here. Dan had, unfortunately, and we could get into all of this, but not, not this moment. But Dan had his moments where, hey, by the way, Dan's getting land. But in Revelation 7, do you realize Dan wasn't sealed with one of the witnesses? So God was still gracious enough to overlook that and still give him land. And then it just continues on. So here you have the holy portion here. And then it continues, Kevin, if you don't mind. So then, interesting enough, who are the closest tribes to Jerusalem? Judah and Benjamin. You have Simeon, Issachar, Zebulon, and Gad. And it's kind of weird. Everybody has equal portion. But the goal is, is you want to be as close as you can here. It says in, in Revelation 20, if you guys want to write these down, in Revelation 20, verses 4, 5, and 6, and I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and the judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls. I saw the people who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of God's word, who had not worshipped the beast or uh, who not worshipped the beast or his image, and who had not accepted the mark on their foreheads or their hands. Look what it says. They came to life, and what did they do? They reigned with the Messiah for a thousand years. The rest of the dead at that point didn't come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. So what you begin to see is, and keep going, Kevin, to verse 6. It says, Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of the Messiah, and they will what? They will reign with him for a thousand years. Not only is he going to give them land, they're going to rule and reign with him. Just one other reference, if you guys would. Revelation 5, verse 10. In Revelation 5, verse 10, it says, You have made them. This is a, a really, this is powerful. Revelation 5, You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And what will happen? They will reign on the earth. You know, I was just kind of blown away when I started studying this. 
Kevin, can you go to 2 Timothy 2.12? I just think there's a lot for us. And uh, 2 Timothy 2.12, it's, it's pretty clear. He says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. He wants to give us an opportunity to rule and reign in the thousand years. It's a matter of what do we do with what we've been given today. Thanks for walking through this with me on land. Uh, it's a first, but hopefully it began to paint a picture of what's there.